Business Podcast. Um, I think not. I cannot condone an act of sacrilege with my presence. The following presentation is intended only for immature audiences. Oh my God, look, it's coming back. And God said, let there be F-bombs. And they were good. And they multiplied. Right here in this podcast. You have read the curse. And not a single fuck was given that day. Good heavens, what a terrible curse. me father for I have sinned it's been a couple of weeks since my latest episode sacrilege hi there and welcome back to the Hansel and Gretel code not again uh yep afraid so this here is episode 23 In our last episode, the Grimms handed us a grimoire so that we could learn the true names of the little brother and little sister. And, armed with that knowledge, start making some real fairy tale magic. Know who that is? Miller of Vienna. Really? Authority on Egyptian occult. Yes, but the girl, Helen Grover. What? Hey, uh, listen. That's not even as far off the Hansel and Gretel trail as you might otherwise think. What? Just saying. Anyway, I also promised that we were going to get a snoot full of moonshine. I like that. I thought you might, but, uh, sorry. Today, we're only going to sniff the cork. Now that's not fair. How could you? I took the liberty of bullshitting you, okay? You lied to me. It wasn't lies, it was just bullshit. (coughs) We are, however, going to take a much closer look at the little brother. The guy that Grimm's baptized as Hansel. Or Hansel. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. But whose real name we now know to be Intuition. So, before we get going on that, let's listen in as Jürgen Lexow, our storyteller extraordinaire, gives us the scoop on Hansel's big night out. Dann stand er leis auf und ging hinaus vor die Türe. Da war's Mondenschein, und die weißen Kieselsteine glänzten vor dem Haus. Der Knabe las sie sorgfältig auf und füllte sein Rocktäschlein damit, so viel er nur hineinbringen konnte. After that, 
he got up and tiptoed out the door, where the moon shone and the little white pebbles in front of the house glistened. The little boy carefully picked them up and filled his jacket pocket, so full with them he could just barely get back. Put it back. Bury it where you found it. Come back with me, and we'll examine this great find together. What the hell is this? Whatever it is, it's terribly heavy. Oh, brother. Part 1 Teil 1 in which we turn on the projector and watch some home movies of a moon landing. And then we find out that our intuition is on a mission. To Chicago. We're on a mission from God. Don't you blaspheme in here! Don't you blaspheme in here! Now considering that Hansel is out there under the moon, the way this thing is going down, he might as well be on the moon. Kind of sounds like Neil Armstrong picking up moon rocks, uh, don't you think? No. Well, I think so. In fact, we're going to find out that he's just taken one hell of an awfully big step for mankind. And what I mean is, he's tiptoeing out the door for the sake of healing Western culture. Something that's been homogenized in industrialized, and slowly turned into something only a narcissist could love. Nonsense! Hey, you may not believe me, but these uh, little white moon rocks, they hold secrets that can tell us way more about the history and the future of humanity than anything Neil Armstrong brought back with him. Bollocks, just bollocks. Well... You don't have to believe me. Once you learn these secrets, though, you might end up having a different opinion. So, if you do want to hear them, just keep listening. Because we're about to take a giant leap towards understanding the meaning of this fairy tale. And we're going to do that by examining Hansel's, uh, stones. You mean balls? Yeah, I guess I do. Okay. Now, before we take out our intuitive magnifying glass and get into the details, let's just take one small step back and look at the big picture. Why? See, we already know that the little brother predicted that he would foil his parents' dastardly plan of getting him and his sister... Lost in the forest. Yeah, so what? Well, it's obvious that his short-term aim is to save his own ass. But his unspoken, long-term aim is to reunite the family. In other words, his aim is to heroically hold the family together as a whole unit. Something his father, as the head of the household, is unwilling or unable to do. Interesting. So now, on a literal level, we're watching our guy covertly gather the tools he'll need to take care of himself and his sister. And 
make sure they have a real shot at getting back home safe and sound. So that's uh, literally. Metaphorically, though, we know that getting back home to the house of the Father, well, that's consistent with the religious concept of atonement. And we also know that atonement, well, that's consistent with the more philosophic and pre-Christian concept of henosis, meaning a return to the one or to the source. Huh? Yeah, I know. That may still sound a touch abstract. But both concepts, atonement and henosis, well, they're metaphorically consistent with being made whole as an individual consciousness, as an entire culture, or even, uh, you know, as any kind of small but important group. We're putting the band back together. We're on a mission from God. Amen. So, I know, atonement is also closely associated with forgiveness and reconciliation, because it includes the concept of guilt. As if the one coming home was responsible for the original separation. You know, like that uh, prodigal son business. And, what do you know? There are are versions of Hansel and Gretel that do indeed make the children responsible for disobeying their parents and getting themselves lost in the forest. That's correct. Yeah, well, as logical as that plot twist sounds, it amounts to victim blaming. And it turns the fairy tale into pedagogic propaganda, advocating blind obedience to parental authority. Certainly. Yeah, and that, in turn, amounts to a gratuitous justification of Western culture as it now stands. Excuse me? Hmm. I think it'd be worthwhile to investigate that a little bit further. Please, don't do that. Eh, it's okay. We really don't have the time for it. Anyway. Our story is way more consistent with a guilt-free return to wholeness, and therefore, henosis. Now, I don't want us to get bogged down in some elaborate explanation of the philosophical concepts. That would call for a very busy enterprise, best carried out by the thinking function of consciousness. And that's because the thinking function, it's all about wordy definitions complicated abstractions, and hair-splitting logic. Fascinating. This fairy tale is much more concerned with the workings of intuition. And so, in this situation, Hansel's metaphoric aim, which uh, might as well be the aim of our own intuition, well, that amounts to a reconciliation and recollection of bringing back together of all four functions of consciousness. We're putting the band back together. Now, of course, as far as logic is concerned, all this step seems to do is make us, as listeners, privy to Hensel's preparations before the fact. So, looking for symbolic significance in the seemingly mundane details of foresight and preparation, it must seem like overkill. Precisely. 
Yeah, well, if we avoid glossing over even the most innocuous details, we might come across looking like Detective Columbo. I'm a strange guy. I worry. I mean, little things bother me. I mean, little insignificant details. I lose my appetite. I can't eat. Oh, I'm starving. But just like Columbo, I guarantee we're going to come to the same conclusion. What is that? We're going to get the truth out of this fairy tale. Oh, really? So, with that in mind, uh, what do we got here? We know it's nighttime, and we can all see Hansel filling his pockets with pebbles. No, sir. Hey, in your mind's eye, you can see him. Oh, brother. All right, so uh, how about this? Instead of racking our brains over the possible symbolism, let's uh, just do what we all might normally do at this point. Let's sit back and allow ourselves to admire Hansel's cleverness, his loyalty to his sister and his family, and his moxie, his pluck, his backbone, or whatever else you might want to call his youthful courage. Uh, you mean balls? Uh, yes, I do. <clears throat> now, when reading a story or watching a film, we're under no obligation to do anything but let ourselves be entertained, right? Maybe. So, this admiration business, it's kind of pleasant. And somehow, it fits right into the territory of entertainment. Now, well, maybe that's because it doesn't require any work on our part. It just comes naturally, spontaneously. You know, it's a kind of an instinctive reflex. A reflex that's all too often exploited for the sake of propaganda, commercial advertising, and uh, the aims of the metaverse. That's not good. Okay, but that's not the issue here. Thank you. Okay, now that we've been entertained and felt the admiration that the author intended us to feel, the next normal thing to do would be to continue on uninterruptedly to the next sentence of the fairy tale, right? Indubitably. Well, that would be fine if we were just reading for pleasure. But if our objective is self-knowledge and greater consciousness which is what a Jungian reading of dreams, fairy tales, and myths intends, and what this podcast really intends to bring you, it doesn't take all that much effort to notice something oddly important right here and right now. What's that? Well, it's that not only did we take a small step back to see the big picture, in doing so, we also got the briefest look at ourselves, simultaneously admiring Hansel and being entertained. Yeah, kind of like watching home movies of ourselves as kids. Okay, Boomer. I know, I know, that shows how old I am. The point is, though, we included ourselves within the frame of a much bigger picture. And in that bigger picture, 
Our admiration of Hansel amounts to identifying with him. So in other words, we caught a glimpse of some very good and valid reasons for admiring ourselves. What's that you say? Yeah, even if we find ourselves struggling and often failing to consistently display those same admirable qualities in our own lives, we're still likely to identify with Hansel. Maybe especially so, since our failures, they often come packaged with a mildly explicit wish for success, and a success without us having to do any of the hard work. Killing ain't always as easy as one might think it is. Our Freudian approach might see our admiration for Hansel as an unconscious wish fulfillment. In other words, for his heroic qualities to somehow magically rub off on us. But I gotta admit, mentioning Freud, it's awfully gratuitous of me. Because I have no expertise when it comes to discussing his brilliant theories. Uh, excuse you. And whether or not all roads really do lead to Rome, it's a Jungian path that we're on here. And this admiration of and identification with Hansel as hero has an archetypal ring to it. And because it all happens reflexively, that is, less than consciously, this admiration and identification amounts, once again, to a classic expression of that psychobabological chestnut called projection. What the fuck does that mean? Oh, just means seeing our own unconscious qualities mirrored back to us in the behavior of others. Oh no. Hey, the good news is that this understanding of projection tells us that we actually possess those admirable qualities of Hansel as hero. Or of anyone we admire, whether we consciously realize it or not. And it's especially when some observed behavior is either greatly admired or greatly despised that we can clue ourselves into the phenomenon. Oh my god. Becky, look at her butt. Of course, that's also the bad news. Oh no. Yeah, well, qualities we despise in others, they are in our psychological repertoire as well. Oh, crap. Now, as much as we actively disidentify with the despised behaviors and qualities of other people, the more we despise them, the deeper those qualities get buried in our own unconscious selves, in our own psyche. And the more likely we are to be unaware that we sometimes act out those despised qualities, even if only in a sort of blunted form. The important thing to remember is that we always have a choice in the matter. Acting out those less conscious aspects of ourselves, whether villainous or heroic, that may be an unconscious reflex, but it's still something that a greater understanding of and appreciation for projection that can help us to master and profit from. How? Well, 
For instance, this step of the story tells us that whenever we as individuals are under severe stress and give in to acting out our anger or fear, we're behaving just like the Holtzak, our parents. We're repressing our natural and innate compassion, empathy, understanding, courage, and intuitive intelligence. Oh, crap! And uh, while that sounds pretty unfortunate, the cool thing is that this moment of the Hansel and Gretel story is showing us that those admirable and heroic qualities within, well, they have a life of their own, and they're actively working their way back into our consciousness. And that's not only because they don't want us to get away with bad behavior, they want us to be our real, authentic selves. What a load of rubbish. Hey, this is all more than mere babble. But that's not even the point. And I'm not looking to pester you with the concept of projection. All I'm saying is that Hansel is displaying the typically positive, admirable qualities of the hero in all of us. And we all usually identify with the hero of any story or film. We can't help it. It's human nature. Just as it's human nature to prefer sitting back and passively letting a story entertain us. Now in this terribly stressful situation, we're watching Hansel say yes to the hero's journey. He's choosing option B. Instead of going with the program and waiting out his fate under option A, Return to your homes. There's nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Because he's an archetype, he's doing something that comes natural to him. See, taking option B comes natural to him because he represents intuition. And that tells you and me something about our own intuition. Your own intuition can be, and often is, heroic, and heroically creative. And just to remind you, Hansel is your own intuition. Really? Oh. Now, funny enough, your intuition also has two more names. What are they? Jake and Elwood. We're on a mission from God. Part 2 Teil 2 In which we get a lesson in Alchemy 101 and... Ooh. Ooh. What's that smell? Uh, that's the stuff we need for our lab assignment. Uh, alright. If you say so. This doesn't smell quite the way I expected. Now, having looked at the bigger picture, I can see that there's still plenty more work to be done on this step. Damn! Hey, relax. Whether or not you're doing any conscious weighing of this material, you've already done all the heavy lifting you needed to do. You can kick back, give in to human nature, and let me do the rest. All right, if you insist. Yeah, 
Having spent 11 years researching all of this material, I've already done the hardest part, which meant putting in hour after hour of research each and every day, following the intuitive clues left by our fairy tale author, and trying my best to see where they led. And those clues, they didn't just suggest I follow them. They demanded it. Now, they also demanded that I share the secrets they led me to. Is that so? Well, of course, this is where you come in. If you like this material, great. Thanks for listening. I'm really happy to share it with you. And if you would please let other people know about the podcast, that would be great too. Because that's what helps support all the heavy lifting I've already done. The thing is, though, I still face an awful lot of heavy lifting in producing each episode of the podcast. And it's not so much the audio end of things, which is eh, obviously a work in progress. Yes, I'm well aware of that. No, the, the difficult part? That's wrangling all of my research and ideas into a coherent, cogent, and entertaining narrative. That's what puts me at the limit, and it's where I go into the red every single day. Because writing a logical, easy-to-follow narrative, it's just about the hardest thing there is for an INFP like myself. Which is why these episodes are never perfect, or come anywhere near tick-tock terrific. Got that right. Hey. They're always the best I can do, and still get them out there in the world. And while there's plenty of room for improvement, I can only hope that they always are, and will be, improving. That said, whatever success I've had in producing them, that's come at a pretty heavy cost in both time and effort. And that's not going to change going forward. Who cares? Well, I know that some of you do care. So that's why I signed up with that buy-me-a-coffee outfit. You know, ko-fi.com. And yeah, this is an ad. For me. I'm not looking for a sponsor. I don't want one. Because I don't want to sell you anything. But supporters? Oh yeah. I really could use the grace of your support. Oh, uh, one other thing. Yeah, what he said. Formatting the transcripts and links and credits on the website, it's not difficult. It's mostly just a hell of a lot of busy work. And for each episode, believe it or not, it often takes me an entire extra week to accomplish. But it's also one of the demands of the material, and something you might find useful. So... Give it a look, why don't you? You know the drill. Visit us on the web at www.betweenthelines.xyz. Alrighty then. At this point in the story, the only lifting I'll be doing will be picking up as many metaphoric moon rocks as I can find. Each of them, as I said, holds some secret. 
And that's because each of them represents a certain discrete bit of content from the unconscious and from the history of our culture. So we'll be examining them all pretty carefully, which really means exercising our consciousness-making muscles. This is a ridiculous exercise in noise pollution. Uh, None of these stones by themselves have such pithy weight they'd uh, make us sink beneath the sea level of consciousness, or maybe even more dangerously, bore us to frickin' tears. Are you sure? Well, yeah. Because, uh, like those amazing images of grains of sand looked at under a microscope, each of them just might reveal something fascinating, surprising, and even hilarious. Oh no, you can't be serious. That is some bullshit right there. Well, I am serious. Let me tell you, though. You actually hit the bullseye on that second part. What? Yeah. See, taken together, these stones are going to add up to something way more worthwhile than a heap of gravel. And what I mean is, they're actually one great big pile of shit. Seriously? Yes. They're a metaphoric dung heap. Uh? Now, medieval alchemists considered the dung heap to be an absolute necessity. What? Yeah, the dung heap was an essential source of what they called prima materia, the raw material they needed to start their work. They knew that they couldn't produce gold without it. And that's exactly what we're doing right here in this podcast. Alchemy. No way. See, doing this kind of lifting is something that fits the very definition of alchemy. I don't think so. Oh yeah, it does. Alchemy has been called the opus contra naturum, or the work against nature. And in this case, think human nature. Because only uber-logical types think that real alchemists were trying to break the laws of physics. And sure, there were plenty of so-called alchemists who believed that someday they might hit the jackpot. You never know, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, they pretty much deserved the name Crackpot. Even so, they were no different from any of us moderns hoping that a Mega Millions lottery ticket can beat the odds. You're kidding, right? Real modern-day alchemy doesn't especially require chemicals, metals, stones, or even horse manure. Alchemy is not, and never was, bullshit, either. Not unless you insist on a literal interpretation of turning shit into gold. And that's something only a Wall Street adept can do. And they can only do it by turning your gold into shit. That's not funny. Real alchemy simply means, as it always did, using your fucking intuition. I'm sorry, what? That's right. Alchemy is using your intuition. There's nothing esoteric, occult, woo-woo, voodoo, magical, miraculous, or incomprehensible about intuition or about alchemy. 
Why not? Well, not unless you don't understand it. Then, of course, that's exactly what it seems to be. A load of crap. That stinks. Now, as far as intuition goes, we all have one. It's just that for a seeming majority of the Earth's population, it represents the shadow or inferior function. And therefore, it remains completely submerged in the collective unconscious. But the surprising, weird, and awful fact is that so many of us who do have intuition as our dominant function, well, we often don't even know it. Why the fuck not? Because we don't recognize intuition for what it is. Why not? Well, there's a reason for that. Not a good one, but a definite one. What's that? It's something that Jung called falsification of type. The fuck is that? Well, that's something that involves upbringing, education, and culture. See, most of us, at least in the West, have grown up and lived within a culture that has intuition as its inferior function. And so almost all of us were taught to get by without using it. In other words, we were brought up to live our lives with a personality that didn't suit us. A personality that only suited the culture, or what the culture had slowly become. It's almost as if we were all brought up by wolves of a very certain type. You know, the wolves of Wall Street. But uh, let's not get into that now. Let's just go ahead and use the damn thing. How? Well, the best way to use your intuition, whether it's your dominant function or not, is to just allow yourself to see the potential value in metaphor. Because when you do, you give yourself a chance to turn that metaphor into information your consciousness can... uh, Bank on. Shushing. And the most practical of all metaphoric intuitive information, well, that's the kind that helps us to own those qualities we see reflected through the mirror of projection. Now, for the most part, that simply means paying attention to projections, understanding that we all have them, and so just letting them come to our own attention. In other words, Making ourselves consciously aware that those qualities we admire or despise in others, well, they're in us. They're a part of who we are and can know ourselves to be. And I'm not just talking about negative qualities, although they tend to be the ones that we act out. See, we tend to act out negative qualities because we don't consciously realize the strength of our own good qualities. and. Too often, we don't even know what the hell those good qualities are. The culture has taught us to rely on others to reward or praise us for what they think or imagine our good qualities are. And we've all mostly been taught to allow the culture to dictate what those qualities should be. Now, Jungians have a name for this kind of heavy-duty psychological work. They call it Chocolalalalata. Uh, no. 
They call it the withdrawal of projections. And while we all might prefer a nice fat bank account to do our withdrawing from, just realize that unconscious projections are a constant drain on our psychic bank account. Ouch. Now, by virtue of projection, those heroic qualities that little Hansel and eventually Gretel displays may be our very own. But unless and until we actually do the hard work of withdrawing those projections and arrive at a conscious realization of those traits within ourselves, unless we fucking own them, we're all unconsciously guilty of fraud. And maybe it's just me, but I think that bouncing checks for the heroic qualities owned by anyone we admire, whether fictional or otherwise, is something that we all tend to do with unconscious impunity. Bummer. This is a bummer, man. It's a bummer. It really, really fucking sucks. So, Hansel, the hero of the moment, archetype that he is, is perpetrating no such fraud. He's taking action to ensure not just his own survival, but that of his entire family. And yes, he's making it more difficult for the parents, whose duties are very different from his. But if not for his covert activity, the family would never be able to stay together and remain whole. Literally, he's ensuring a reunion and reintegration of the entire family, which is itself symbolic of psychological wholeness. Now, what makes him truly heroic might just have more to do with the symbolic nature of his aim than his literal actions. Because the honest-to-God truth here is that we, too, are actually doing the very same thing. What? We're taking steps to ensure our own psychological wholeness. And we're helping to heal Western culture. Right here and right now. No way! Oh, yes way. And we're doing it just through our simple, conscious decision to see Hansel and his activity as metaphor. That's it. That's Alchemy 101. And that's all the intuition you need to bring to bear on this. We're putting the band back together. In our next episode, we're going to take a few measurements and maybe cause a bit of a sensation. And, uh, oh yeah, we're going to throw some astrology into the mix, too. Hey, we're still moonlighting, after all. It's uh, pretty much going to be an episode for night owls. And it ought to be a hoot. Uh, 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 uh. All righty then. Ciao a tutti. <laughs>